We need more kingdom songs, folks. Folks that are, we need songs that are proclaiming to us, giving us hope, reminding us of what we're about. We're about the kingdom's business. We're about our Lord's business. And what is our Lord's business? To see the captive's hearts released, the hurt, the poor, the sick at peace, right? We want to see that happening. And how does that happen? That happens through the redeemed people of the kingdom. God's way of moving forward and bringing forward his kingdom to advance is through his people. And so I'm so excited to be with you today, people of God. I'm so excited to be with you, friends who are here, who might be wondering, what is this all about? What is, what is this life with Jesus all about? You've come to a good Sunday. I hope that you're going to hear today the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is what we need in this world to see a transformation happen in our hearts and in our communities. And so I'm delighted to be with you. Um, if you don't know who I am, I am, my name is Sam. I was with you about a month ago. I, I was the guy in a PCA church that was getting you guys to clap and to say amen. So amen? Amen. Okay. Uh, I'm okay with having some response back here today. So uh, uh, one of the things that I, I just want to point in here is as we jump into uh, our time together is to really just, uh, just exclaim the beauty of Acts. I'm so delighted that you guys are going through the book of Acts because the Acts is fire. It's, it's not just mere church history like I learned so many years back ago. It's more than that. It's a vision for what should be happening now. It's a vision for what will be happening in the future for us. You see, in the book of Acts, you see this early church delighted, excited about living out the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that, we, that has been commanded by him, right? And you see them delighted about because of the transformation they have in Jesus, now to actually following Jesus and his life. And so part of that deal, part of following after Jesus, is that they are now so excited about following the greatest commandment. And what is that greatest commandment? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your mind, with your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's where we're going to focus a lot of our time in today is to see a people, this, this new people, excited about living out this great commission and the great commandment. And so when, when we dive into Acts chapter 3, we're going, to, we're going to read this together in just a second. When we dive into Acts chapter 3, I want you to have in mind that what you see in Acts 3 is the greatest commandment coming to life. The greatest commandment being fulfilled in the midst of the people because they believe in the Jesus who fulfilled the greatest commandment. Does that make sense? Because Jesus himself fulfilled the greatest commandment. He loved God with all that he was. And he loved his neighbor as himself. That we too can join Jesus now with a new heart and a new passion to do the same for the world around us. But before we can even jump into that part, I think we have to stop for a second and ask ourselves the question, who is our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? I think a lot of times we think through and we say, our neighbor is a person that lives next to me. 
literally, like that lives next to me. And that is so true, okay? But Jesus takes some time to talk to this lawyer to explain who, who your neighbor is. And it's in, it's in Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to just turn there real quick. And you, you can if you have your Bibles or your, your app um, to be able to turn to Luke 10. And we're going to see here exactly who our neighbor is. In Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, you see here, and I'm not going to read it all here, but I'm going to paraphrase, that there's a lawyer who is testing Jesus. This, this lawyer who, who, who knows the law, who loves the law, right? But does not have love for God. Not really. Does not have love for his fellow man, okay? But wants to know, how do I have eternal life? How, how does one inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him a question, like, how, how do you interpret it? What do you think about it, right? And the guy comes back and says, man, I know my I know my scripture. Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got it. You answered it right. Go and do it. So of course, the lawyer is sitting right there wondering, wondering well, I, I want to make sure I'm good with this. Um, I follow the law. But, you know, I want to make sure I'm, I'm loving my neighbor because according to my ideas, I am loving my neighbor. You know, everybody that looks like me, everybody that talks like me, man, and they, they live next to me in, these, in, this, in this nice housing, these other lawyers, man, we love each other. We're good. We're on the same page. I must be doing this right. So, um, so we asked Jesus this question, you know, uh, I want to I make sure I'm good with this. Who's my neighbor? Jesus tells him the story, right? And tells the story about this man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this man gets robbed, right? And this guy's beaten down. He's hurt. He's on the side of the road. And, and, and he's got nothing at this point. He's, he's dying, okay? And they've got one guy who's this priest, this man who intercedes on behalf of broken people, of sinners, walks by the road, sees the man, keeps walking, okay? Another guy comes up, a Levite, a guy who's supposed to lead the worship. I'm supposed to lead the people in worship of the Lord, that they would honor God. And that Levite goes, goes, takes a glance, walks by again. And finally, there's this third one, this Samaritan, this hated half-breed of an Israelite and Gentiles, comes by sees the man, has compassion on that man, loves the man, cares for the man, takes care of his wounds, takes him to the, their hospital, okay, this inn, pays for him to be there, pays for his care, and says to the innkeeper, anything else I owe you, I will pay you, okay? Take care of this man. And Jesus talks to the lawyer and says, who's your neighbor here? He says, the one who's shown mercy. Right. Folks, your neighbor is not just your physical neighbor from where you live in your houses, okay? Although that's true. Your neighbor is anybody that takes up the same time, space, and air as you. 
So right now, look around you. Look to the left, to the right, and look at your neighbor. That's your neighbor. When you walk into quick, it was a quick trip. Is that what it is? A gas, I'm still learning these gas stations around here in Atlanta. The quick trip, as you're at the register, you look at your neighbor. That's your neighbor that's there. As you're pumping gas, as you're going out to eat, as you're going shopping at your schools, young friends, your classmates are your neighbors. They're taking up time and space and air with you there. And do they need mercy? And the answer is yes. Your neighbor is anybody who's taking up time and space and air that needs mercy. So that's who your neighbor is. And that's important as we jump into this passage. Because this this lame beggar that you're going to see, that's not just Peter and John's neighbor. Folks, that's your neighbor. That's, That's your neighbor. And you are called by God to love him as you love yourself, as you take care of yourself. And so for those who are able, let's stand together and we're going to we're going to read from Acts 3. What I'm going to do is to save your voices today. Uh, what I'll normally do is I would have you read with me all of Acts 3, but uh, um, Pastor Ryan here has given me uh, the task to uh, take you through all of Acts 3. Thankfully, we're only going to focus on a small portion because there are 26 verses here, and we would be here forever. And so I'm going to have you guys just read along with me. Um, I'm going to read Acts 3. This is the Word of God. Let's honor the Lord and its hearing of it. So Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he dressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled 
Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now there's no way that we're going to go through all of that today. Praise the Lord. (laughs) But we're going to focus on the gospel living section here, okay? In here and throughout the book of Acts, and you've already heard this from your pastor, Pastor Ryan, that you see in here gospel proclamation and gospel living. Gospel declaration and and the, the result of that, okay? In believing, believing in and trusting in Jesus. We're going to focus on the gospel living aspect in the very beginning today. In it, we're going to go through five specific points. And I want you to see and hear, now that you know who your neighbor is, what does it mean to love your neighbor? So in the very, very beginning, the very first point that I want you to see and we'll draw out from verse 1 is to love your neighbor is to be available to your neighbor. To love your neighbor is to be accessible to your neighbor. And it takes intentionality. And it takes prayer. And it takes a heart of mission to do that. You see, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, at the ninth hour, okay? And you have to ask yourself the question, why? Why were Peter and John, the two of Jesus' main dudes, who are living out now gospel living, okay? This, this gospel realization. Why were they going to the temple? Well, they were going to the temple, just like your pastor Ryan said, because they care for the Jewish people. They wanted to love upon the Jewish people. They wanted to evangelize the Jewish people. They wanted them to know about Jesus. And so they know that that's, a, that's, an, that's an area We've got captive audiences. And so they're going to the temple. And they're, they're going there to worship, to pray to the Lord. And in the midst of that, to proclaim who Jesus is. And so you see these faithful men believing that they were called on mission to go follow Jesus. And they knew that their mission field was sitting at this temple. And so it takes being accessible, being available. So the question is for, for us, are we available and accessible to our neighbors? Are we, are we those that are praying, asking the Lord, give us a heart of passion for our neighbors. Give us a heart of intentionality that when we walk out of our doors, we're just not going haphazardly throughout our day. 
But we're asking God, God, do something mighty. Do something, do something great and it, right in line with your heart. Because I know your heart. and Your heart is to seek and to save the lost. So can I be part of that? Will you use me today? People of God, do we ask the Lord for that thing? We need to. Second off, we see in here that to love your neighbor is to see your neighbor. Oh, in this, there's a character that's introduced and it's a man lame from birth. And this man lame from birth was carried daily to this gate called Beautiful. To be, to, be, to, to be laid outside of the gate, at that gate, and to ask for money, ask for alms. And literally, alms means mercy. He's asking for mercy each and every single day in order to be able to care for himself. And so we need to be able to stop for a second and see this lame beggar for who he is. This lame beggar does not have life easy at all. This lame beggar, according to a Jewish mindset, would be someone who stands under judgment. That we see it in John 9, when, when Jesus interacts with his disciples, they see this blind man who was blind from birth, and the disciples ask Jesus, who, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he's blind this way, that he's got this deformity, okay? That's basically what they're, they're, they're saying. Guys, in a Jewish mindset, this guy would be standing on their judgment. And so something was wrong with this guy. Immediately, he's looked down upon for his sin. This lame beggar would also be considered ceremonially unclean. This guy can never enter the temple, ever. The temple, guys, is where blessing is. The temple is where the presence of God was known to be. Jonah cries out from the belly of a fish, folks, okay? When he's crying out, he says, he's longing for the temple. Oh, if I could just see, if I could just be in that temple. Do you know why he's crying out for that? He's obviously in a desperate state, right? He's crying out for that because he's going, I long for your presence. I long for blessing. Folks, this man would never get to experience that. This man would have to sit outside a blessing. He would have to sit outside the presence of God. And that was his state. So we know that about the lame beggar. We see that about the lame beggar. He survives on mercy. You know, we're called to work. We're called to labor with our hands. It's a good and wonderful thing. It's from, from creation. God calls us to labor. This man would have to sit and he could not fulfill that. He'd have to sit and cry out. I, I survive only because you give. I survive because you give. What does that do to a soul? What does that do to a soul when you can't labor to provide? We can't labor to, to go about doing the work of God. To go about doing what you were created to be doing. You're, you begin seeing yourself as less valuable than others. You begin seeing that your dignity isn't there anymore, that you're less than a human. And that's his mindset, folks. 
He's been living in that, and commentators, commentators say that for, he's been living in that for 40 years. For 40 years, this man is crying out, I need blessing. I need blessing. And I'm not a real man. And what other option does he have than that? You see, folks, God told the Israelites, take care of the poor. And this is part of the deal here, okay? So I want you to see that. That almsgiving was part of the deal, right? But just like every good thing we take from God, we, we mess it up. So they were supposed to give to the poor out of the abundance of their heart. Because God has blessed them and loved them and cared for them. So they, they are able to look to the poor and say, oh, God cares for you and loves you and you are valuable. And so I give to you out of the abundance of what I have. But instead, it was a, a means of clearing one's conscience. It was common in, in, in some documents that were, that were, that were pursued, um, given out by many of the Jewish lawyers. There's there there actually historical documents of them saying, I am more righteous now in front of God because I gave to the poor. Do you see what's happening here? Something that was supposed to be a beautiful system is broken. Folks, if we look into our world, how many broken systems do we see? That, that at its heart, you might be going, man, that is a wonderful way to care for the impoverished, for the marginalized, to the poor. But man has taken that to use it for self-gain. That's what was happening here. The, uh, the folks that were coming in, giving to this man, they weren't seeing their neighbor. They were seeing themselves. They're thinking, what can I gain? And what the real loving thing to do is to see your neighbor. And that's exactly what Peter and John do, right? Peter and John, as they're, as they're, as they're going by, this, this guy asks, Ask for alms. And Peter and John, they stop. And the Bible says this. The, the, their gaze is intent. It's a direct gaze. They fix their attention. Okay? Which means more than just looking eye to eye, although it's definitely that. It's the soul gazing. As they're looking at him, they really see him for who he is. They really see him for who he is. And they have compassion on this man People of God, our Lord sees you for who you really are. And he sees your neighbors for who they really are. And he knows your heart. And he's coming to give you a blessing. And you'll see that here. What is that blessing? The third point I want to bring out about what it means to love your neighbor. To love your neighbor is to share with your neighbor. To share with your neighbor. Now, I have kids. I have four kids under the age of seven. Sharing is hard, right, Kayona? Sharing is hard, right? Why is it so hard? You know, when I talk to my kids, it's because sharing requires them to give up something that they like or have in order for the other person to benefit from and to enjoy. 
Love at its very root is that. Love is considering the benefit of others at great cost of yourself. Sharing is costly. Sharing will cost you. Sharing is sacrificial. And that's exactly what we see here. So Peter and John are going by. They, they, they see this guy asked for money. They see this guy. They turn to him. And the guy's expecting something now. That's what it says in there. The guy's expecting something. But what he's expecting is money, right? But Peter says to him, I don't have any money. I don't have any money. I want to say this right now. This is not a cop-out. <laughs> this is Peter and John going, I've got a couple, got a couple denarii in my pocket here, but this guy, I don't want to give it to this guy, right? This is not a cop-out. Folks, and, and, let me just say this real quick. Don't lie. When somebody asks you for help and mercy or money or something, don't lie to them. Don't say, if, if, if you really got money and you just look over to them and say, I, I don't have any money, that's dishonoring to God, and it's actually devaluing that person. You're not treating them like a person. So please don't do that. Peter and John, they don't do that here. They were being honest. They really don't have any money. <laughs> okay? But this is what Peter says. But what I do have, I'm going to give it to you. Oh, I'm going I'm to give it to you. And so, at this point, what is given here? Peter and John give him the best of what they have. Folks, when you share with your neighbors, when, when you find out who they are, you find out their needs, their desires, their wants, where they're hurting, don't hold back from your neighbor. Give them the very best because that is what Jesus does. Jesus gives us the very best from himself. Peter and John, they know that. So guess what? They're going to give this guy the very, very best that they have. So they look to this guy, and, and Peter says this, and this is so important to hear out. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It doesn't say here, this is so important. It doesn't say here, in the name of Peter, John, and all the disciples, because we're pretty mighty dudes. Get up and walk. He says, in the name of Jesus, who has the only power to do this. In the name of Jesus, who raises people from the dead. In the name of Jesus, who makes the lame walk. Because I've seen it. I was there when he's done this. Rise up and walk. People of God, that's exciting here. You see the sharing that is occurring here. And it's the very best thing they could offer to him. And they realize, this, ultimately, this is what this man needs. This man already receives alms day in and day out from people. But this man needs to be reminded of his dignity. This man needs to be returned to his community so he can, so he can, he can do what he is called to by, as, as just being a part of a, this human society to work. This man who is hurting beyond all reason and understanding. You know what? He needs Jesus. He needs Jesus because ultimately, Jesus is the one who can fix the plight in his heart and Jesus is the one 
who can fit, fix the plight and everything else that's going on too. And so they offer him Jesus. And this is what ends up happening. He gets up. But he doesn't just get up. He doesn't just get up on his own. What happens here? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter goes over there and grabs this guy's hand. He grabs this guy's hand. As soon as Peter does that according to the law, he's unclean. You're unclean, brother. What are you doing? Why would you, why would you risk your, your status to become unclean, then to go through all this ceremony to once again be clean, to go worship? Because Peter and John know that they're clean. And not just that, but Peter and John know that they're holy. You see, when the holy meets the unclean, two things happen. Either the unclean die or the unclean become clean and become holy. That's it. Two options. So guess what ends up happening here? Peter and John go to this man in flesh, grabs his hand, pulls him up. And guess what? Peter and John are still holy still clean. And guess what happens to this man? Because of faith in Jesus, because of believing in, in who Jesus is, that man is clean. And not just that, he's set apart. He is holy now. And you know that to be true. You know that to be true because the very, very next section, what, what are they doing? They're hopping through the temple now. They're going, man, we're going to the temple. We're going to get our worship on. We're going to get our prayer on now. They're doing that, guys, because they know now that there's nothing holding them back from worshiping the Lord. There's nothing holding them back from blessing. Why? Because they've already received it. They've already received it, folks. And that's what's happening here. You see that? And, and, and so there's two points that just kind of come together is right here, to love your neighbors, to show them Jesus, right? And that's what happens and then to love your neighbor is to seek their shalom, to seek their flourishing. And this is a way more than just a piece of inner peace or the, or the absence of conflict here. You see, Peter and John are seeking this man's shalom and it's totally transforming his life. See, shalom at its very, very core deals with the righting of wrong relationships. Shalom is seeking to right your relationship with God, with yourself, how you see yourself, with others around you, and then with God's creation. And that's what you see here. It's a portrait of shalom. And it's beautiful. And you should get us excited here. Because what ends up happening is this man who is apart from community, is now part of community. This man who didn't see himself as valuable now sees himself as valuable. That who he is as a human, his dignity is affirmed by this. And then the biggest thing, the greatest thing, is that his relationship with the God of the universe is made right. And he is able to worship freely now. Folks, to love your neighbor, 
to, to, to love your neighbor is to be an agent, to be an agent of restoration and reconciliation to them. And it means giving up of your life so that they might have life. It means taking the time out of your schedules to have another minute conversation. It, It means walking over to your neighbor's house and bringing them chicken soup when they're sick. It means thinking through how my friend here is jobless and and is desperate for work, and how can I be an agent of helping him find something to do to help him be able to do what he is called to do? Folks, to love your neighbor is to show them Jesus. You see, because of Jesus, let me say this, because of Jesus, you can be a good neighbor. Because of Jesus, you can love your neighbor as yourself. You couldn't do this on your own, I promise you. All this that happened in this passage, you you couldn't do this on your own. But in Jesus, you can Every single bit of it, you can. And you have to be reminded, where's my motivation in this? Right now, maybe, I'm, maybe you're like me, where you're like, man, every single day, it is a chore. It is so stinking hard to be able to remind myself to love my neighbor, to love my neighbor, to love my neighbor. But you know what? I'm, I'm trying in my own power, and I'm forgetting ultimately the gospel. See, when I remember the gospel, when we remember the gospel, that Jesus is our good neighbor. He loves us. He cares for us. He shows us mercy, right? That he's made himself available. How did he make himself available? Well, he stepped out of eternity, took on flesh to be with his people, to dwell among his people. As the message says in John chapter one, that he came into our neighborhoods, right? That's what he did. He made himself available. That that Jesus spent time getting to know their neighbors. Like he, 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 he saw them for who they really were. And he shared everything with them. And ultimately his very life, right? And in the midst of that is bringing about a change in their life that is holistic. There's a completeness that's happening to their life because of Jesus in their lives. Folks, may we be people that love our neighbors as ourselves, but only does that, only does that, because we are sold out that Jesus has loved us as that good neighbor. And so, um, would you pray with me? Father, there's so much that's here in this passage. And ultimately, this passage is the Lord's prayer on fire. It's, It's the Lord's prayer bearing fruit. As we see your kingdom advancing here and restoration happening in this world where where there was brokenness, you bring healing. Where, where Where there was great injustice, you bring justice.
where there was a, where there was a man who was seeing himself as less than a human, then now he sees himself as being made in the image of God. Father, I pray, I pray, I pray that we would be people passionate, passionate in loving our neighbors. That we would see that that is a mark of the church. One of the marks of the church is love. That in loving our neighbors, we're loving God. God, I pray that we would be those people who would take that seriously and not see it as something that is tying us down in the Christian life, but seeing it as something that we're free to, that because of the new desires in our heart, because of Jesus Christ who laid down his life and died for his people, that we too can go forward with that same heart to lay down our life and to die for people, to die for our neighbors, that they might know that they are loved. Got to pray for those in here who've never experienced that love, who've never received what it means to be loved as a neighbor. That they would see the good neighbor Jesus holding out their hands to them, saying, in my name, rise up and walk. In my name, come and be with me. In my name, by what I've done, let's have a relationship. That they would come today, that they would receive that gift of life that transforms them from the inside out. So God, I pray for those things today. God, make us a people who love their neighbors like you love us. God, we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.